BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is going on, Truth Speakers? You are listening to The Know with me, Nikki Spo, and I am happy to have you all back. Maybe today is your first time tuning in, or maybe you've been following along for a while now. Either way, I'm grateful to cross paths with you so I can hopefully bring you inspiring content and quality conversations that are at least thought-provoking and at best incredibly inspiring, motivating, and encouraging. This is a safe spot to have real-life, vulnerable conversations where we don't sugarcoat the ugly bits, but instead highlight them so we can learn grow and glow from them. Today, I'm really excited to host Sherelle Starr. Sherelle Starr is a brand and partner media manager in the fintech field, an online journalist, contributor, and featured lifestyle tech and fashion expert for on-air segments. A former foster care youth, she is now advocating as an appointed board member of Casa NYC and City Living New York. Sherelle is a wife, an advocate, and is passionate about using her platform to educate others about foster care and share all of her beauty, fashion, and lifestyle tips. So I did some research and learned that there are over 450,000 Americans in the foster care system, and approximately 20,000 of these children annually age out of the system without ever finding their forever family. And 50% of those aged out individuals have no income whatsoever. And for the other 50% of people who do have an income, it averages $7,500 a year. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know anything about the foster care system other than what I've personally looked up recently when Sherelle Star popped up on my radar, but it is something that I am very much interested in. And as you all know, I am passionate about hearing real life stories of perseverance and hope. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Sherelle Starr onto The Know with Nikki Spo today. When you popped up on my radar, I'm like, this woman seems positively incredible. And so I started doing a little bit of research, Sherelle, about like the foster care system. And I learned that there are about 450,000 Americans um, in the foster care system and that approximately like 20,000 of these children annually age out of the system without ever having found their forever family. And then 
50% of those aged out individuals like have no income. And the ones that do have income, it's like $7,500 a year. That is what their annual. Yes. No, that information is correct. Um, the one thing you you missed out or, or might have missed is that um, about 50% of those who age out, so that 20,000 every year, they end up homeless within 18 months because okay. they don't have an income uh, coming in. Um, and so, so that is the only... Uh, part you missed, but yes, it's heartbreaking. It's cruel. Um, it's one of the things I try to advocate and speak about um, being someone who was also in foster care. Um, and now that, you know, I have a platform to bring attention to this, the fact that, you know, we are basically re-traumatizing and abandoning um, the most vulnerable people in our society. Um, and, you know, there's all these conversations about homelessness and how does it get so bad? Well, it gets so bad um, by us allowing, you know, people who uh, have grown up without a supportive system just end up on the streets with no place to go and no way to support themselves. So yeah, thank you for having me on i'm i'm so honored to have you on and i want to hear about like everything that this podcast is about is about like telling the stories of perseverance and hope and it sounds like you have a beautiful story of that um so i, I want to start with like what your life is like now tell us a little bit about like what your life is like now sherelle star yeah, so so my life is, is pretty pretty great right now, um, and has been for a while. So I am a on camera host. Um, I cover like fashion and beauty and technology for various outlets as a correspondent. Um, NBC, uh, New York Live being one of them, and I've been on tons of other shows, um, national and local here in New York City. Um, I uh, live in Maplewood, New Jersey. I'm married. Um, I uh, you know I have my online platform on uh, at Sherelle Star, which is my Instagram channel, where I talk about not only fashion and beauty, but I also talk about foster care, the foster care system um, and my work within it and trying to, you know, shine a light on uh, the problems and issues that you have within care um, and just try to get more people uh, more aware of that and really um, invested in changing the system that is very much broken. Um, but really, uh, it, it doesn't have to be this way, especially if we all decide to, to lean in and ensure that youth who have done nothing wrong and nothing deserve to be in the situation they find them in, um, right. you know, the, that they have a support system that they need to thrive. Um, and so my life has been really, really good. And I, I really love my life, but I love uh, also the fact that I get to leverage all of this sort of um, the platform that I built for myself to help uh, other youth. Let's start from the beginning. Like how old were you when you went into foster care? Yeah, so I um, blurry the, the time frame because I was a kid, but I always say, you know, it was around the age of either, you know, four or five when I first went to foster care for what I think was my first time, because again, I was young. I was living with my great grandmother at the time. So this is why I'm also like, I think it was my first time, but it might not have been obviously. Um, but she had gotten sick. Uh, she was older. She was my great grandmother. So obviously old, an older person um, and she had gotten sick. And so I was taken to foster care and the way they took me to foster care is a social worker showed up one day, threw all my stuff in a trash bag um, and took me to some home um, it, it, somewhere in New York. I'm assuming, um, and uh, just left me there and uh, no explanation of what was happening. No, um, you know, say goodbye, or this is when you'll be able to go back home. Like none of that just dropped me off at this home. And it was a pretty awful, awful experience. I was abused there. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, I uh, was in about five, six different homes in six different years. So they also went to six different schools because changing schools all the time, every time they placed you in a new home. And so um, it was a very hard experience. Um, some of the homes were fine. Um, some of the homes were awful. 
awful. I was physically abused, sexually abused. Um, and so, you know, a really, really sort of mixed bag of homes. Um, and then uh, about six years later, um, I was reunified with my mother. She um, had gotten herself clean. Um, she was on uh, using drugs, um, which is why I was living with my great grandmother in the first place. But she had gotten clean, gone to rehab. So she uh, was able to take custody of my sister and myself. Uh, and we went to live with her. And then after sort of that, I ended up getting a scholarship to go to boarding school for high school. Uh, and so then I left living with my mother um, after living with her for a couple of years and went to uh, live at boarding school, um, which was a college prep school, um, which was also difficult in a different way um, sure. but that put me on a track that got me into college. Um, I got to uh, go to Boston University and then I got to study abroad in London. Um, and then you after I graduated, got to come back and find a job in public relations at first. And then I moved on to event planning and marketing um, before, you know, landing with sort of uh, this on camera sort of life style that I live. Uh, but yeah, it was it was very, very hard. Um, and it was a, not only was it hard during that time, but also after I, I hid the fact that I was in foster care from a lot of people. I never told my bosses about it because I made the mistake one time of letting it slip. And I saw how the my boss's face changed yeah. um, and how her attitude towards me changed. I had gone from, you know, her always giving me praise and being promoted to um, her micromanaging everything I did after the time I told her I had been wow. in foster care. And so I was like, oh my God, this will kill my career if I tell people. So I kept it to myself for a very long time after that. You touched on so many things. Like, first of all, I want to honor your strength and resilience. Um, I too am a, a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and abuse, and I was not in the foster care system. And so this stuff is happening everywhere. Yes. Well, yes. like this stuff is happening everywhere and it, there is no discrimination of class, race, sex, orientation. There, there, there's not like a stereotype of, of, of it. So yeah. Um, you said it with so much ease and from the personal work that I've done in therapy, I know that it had it for me to be able to talk about it for myself with such ease. And I don't know if it's the same for you. <clears throat> I know that it's taken just a tremendous amount of healing work to be able to talk about that part of my life without having a physical, like visceral reaction where you, the way you threw this out in the conversation was a lot like how I kind of do it sometimes too. And then people are like, like, I almost have to be like, oh shit, did I actually say that? Like, did I, I'm like, they're, they weren't ready. Like they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready. You know? and, and I'm like, no, 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 but I'm good guys. Don't worry. I'm, I'm good. They're like, are you really sure? I'm like, yes, it's like a blip in the life. Like I was able to take it and grow from it. And it sounds sure like you've been able to do that with like all, all of your life experiences. And so I mean, I have, I have so many questions about that. Like, did your mom come searching for you when she got clean? Well, the way foster care works, um, if, if your parents are, if they are aware of your parents um, and they know you're in the system, um, is they put your parents on a plan. Okay. Um, and so my mom had been working her plan um, to, you know, prove that she could take care of me and my and my baby sister when she came along um, for a number of years. Um, but finally, towards the end, like she she followed through on the plan. And so I'm not actually sure how many times my mom might have restarted that plan through those six years that I was in care um, because my mom doesn't like to talk about it. So so mm -hmm. my entire ch childhood of me being in care just sort of doesn't exist. We don't talk about it. Um, and uh, I have learned that. Uh, 
um, that that's got to be okay because my mom has also suffered a lot of trauma in her life that she doesn't like to talk about. Um, And so I just, I don't push that particular topic with her, but I talk about it with other people because I want them to be able to heal from sort of my story as well and and hearing from my story. Um, But yes, so so she had been working this plan. And so, uh, so she wasn't searching for us. They knew where she was. She knew we were in care. Um, And so once she followed through on the plan and did all the things the judges were requiring her to do, um, she was able to take custody of us. And was your sister with you? How much younger than you is she? So my sister is five years old. So I didn't meet my sister until my third or fourth move in foster care because okay. you know, obviously what didn't exist. So uh, so my third or fourth move in foster care. So I met my sister when she's basically a toddler. Like I, I remember picking her up and putting her in the crib. Um, so, you know, around toddler age, but she wasn't like a little baby. So she was probably about at least one years old when I first met her. I don't know anything like I don't I'm not pretending like I know I did a little bit of research as I mentioned to you and when you popped on onto my radar I was like hold on I like I really want to learn more about this but for the most part I'm green and I don't know I don't know how it works which is what's so beautiful about getting the opportunity to speak with somebody like you because I think the majority of people don't know how it works unless you've been in it right and then even in it it's like there are so many different possible scenarios of what your experience could have been like. So did your sister then go everywhere with you to all these homes after that? So the, yeah, so the last two homes we were in, we were in together, but that is not common. Um, and so I want to share that with your, your viewers and your, your uh, listeners as well. Uh, youth get split up all the time. So you sibling groups get split up all the time. Um, and there is a push to ensure that youth are not split up now. Um, but it happens, uh, you know, frequently where they'll just, because they can't find a home for two or three right. youth. So they'll just split them up. And so that is even more detrimental for them. Like after meeting my sister, it would have been horrible to be split from her after going into those last two homes. Um, So so it doesn't always happen that you travel together. Um, There is a a push to ensure that you aren't split up. But again, it depends on if there's a foster home that can handle more than one child. And it's like, that's your only family, right? That's your only real family, like your sense of home and and togetherness. Mm -hmm. And you're like, let's us two stick together here. Like I got you and you got me. Exactly. Exactly. It's so important that sibling groups do stay together because of that, because it gives, it, it, it's that last bond. Yeah. You don't want to break for them. Um, and it's so important. And having my sister made a difference. I will say, you know, having someone else to look out for made a difference in my life. Like I, I, I probably would have survived care, but like having her to look out for also made me focus to you on the things I needed to do so that I could take care of her and make sure she was fed and make sure she was changed and do all those things um, that we don't want you to have to do, but it does make right. a difference when like you, you are taking care of someone else and that you love, you know, it's just a different right. experience. Totally. Like I've done a lot of work around, like when I was growing up, I had to take care of my mom a lot because my mm-hmm. mom was an addict and, you know, sh- children should not have to do that. Now I look at my life and my life is drastically different. My upbringing was, is drastically different from yours. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, okay, how did that serve me? Like as a, as a human, right? Like what are my skills? Like it it, it was, it was unfortunate that I, or anybody for that matter has to endure hardships like these, but now like, how does that go and serve me as an adult person? Right. And you know, like there's certain things where I'm like, okay, that really doesn't serve me. And I'm going to have to work on those things. But in a lot of ways, like I'm resilient, which I'm sure you are like, like you can handle anything. Like, you know, how to get things done. You want to get something done. Give it to Sherelle. I'm sure. Exactly. Were you resentful towards your mother during this time? 
So no, I actually wasn't resentful towards my mom. And even now I'm not resentful towards my mom. Um, and um, I think as a child, I wasn't resentful um, because it wasn't like, it wasn't her fault. Um, like if that makes sense, like I didn't look at it like it was her fault that I was in care. Um, okay. Also, I think that the difference with me and, and not feeling resentment towards my mom was that because I had lived with my great grandmother, she was home to me. And I ended up knowing why she couldn't take care of me it was because she was older and she was sick. Um, and so in my head, I, when, you know, in my, my dream, my fairy tale, um, you know, going from these homes in my head, I thought like when she gets better, I can go back with her. It wasn't really, you know, in my head that I'd go live with my mom until like, I don't know, probably like the last home I was in when they were telling me, oh, you know, your mom's getting better. You might go live with her. Um, but home for me was my great grandmother. And so like, I, there was no time for me to be resentful towards anyone because I had a reason. Um, and, and my mom wasn't the caregiver in my life. So I was, you know, my, my great grandma was. Which isn't the case because some people, some children have no perspective of what a home feels like or what a care, a proper caregiver feels like, looks like, you know, like what that experience is exactly. at all. And exactly. so they're wandering around in all these homes and they never actually get to have that. Exactly. Um, and and they start internalizing, uh, especially for the bad homes that they get stuck in. Right. They start internalizing these bad experiences and believing like this is, you know, as good as it's going to get. And yeah. even, um, you know, in care, like I found myself doing this as a child too, of, of being afraid to one say, uh, talk about the bad things that are happening. But part of that fear is also the fear that if they, they could put you someplace worse. Right. Um, and so like, you just become like, well, this is bad, but like, you know, who knows what'll happen if they move me. Um, and so in starting to internalize that, which is, which is horrifying that you've got five, six, seven, eight year olds, like making these like calculated decisions of like, not going to say anything because it could get worse. And our, psychological services provided to children in the foster care system? So they are, but they are very hard to get. I had no therapy when I was in care. Uh, I had no therapy when we were reunified with my mom and they just dropped us off at a one bedroom apartment you know, three people, um, in New York city. Um, there were, there were no services offered to us. Um, services tend to get offered to the most extreme needed, uh, cases and, and youth with the most extreme needs. Um, however, it should be offered to all youth, um, because just the, the act of being removed from your home is a, as a traumatizing experience. It's a form of trauma that you're, you are going through. Um, and you need to know how to deal with those emotions, um, in this situation. And it's not always offered. It's hundred percent not offered to all youth, and but all youth do need it. And I'm saying that as someone who went through the system and ended up getting therapy later in life to work through all of the issues that I had um, from the time I was in care. But on your own, like that you saw right. like, and because yeah. it sounds like from what you're telling me about your education, like I also have questions about that too. So like, what made you decide, okay, I'm, I need to apply for the scholarship for boarding school. Like how did, how was that on your radar? You know, because I'm imagining that like other other children go into homes that those caretakers are like, whatever, like public school fail out. I don't care. Yep. A hundred percent. It was not on my radar. It was it was not on my radar at all. Like I, I grew up thinking so I was always good at school. Always. I always excelled at school because school was the place where I felt safe. 
So okay. if there was a pre-day, um, a pre-program uh, uh, or an after-school program, I would always request to go to it because it kept me out of out of these homes. Um, so always did really well in school. And then in middle school, um, my teachers uh, around the first week of school rounded up about 10 of us and put us on a separate academic track. So I would only go to homeroom um, with my grade. But outside of that, I took um, Kaplan programs. I took museum. We would do museum trips. We did college trips. I took college classes. Uh, sorry, I took classes at, at, at a college, Columbia University. I took computer classes. I took science classes. They just put us on a totally separate academic track. And they are the ones who got us uh, notified about all of these additional programs. So the scholarship program that I got to, I think there, I think I applied to maybe five or six different programs around the country. Um, plus, uh, they had given us Kaplan classes. I don't know if you're familiar, but in New York City, you have to test into the specialized high schools. Um, so the best schools in the, in the network get to test in. And so the Kaplan programs and the Ka Ka Kaplan test prep was to help us test into those schools. So I actually tested into Brooklyn Tech, which is like the third best school in, in New York City. Um, so if I hadn't gone to boarding school, I would have gone to Brooklyn Tech. Uh, but basically it was teachers rounding us up saying, you guys you know, have some sort of potential academically um, and let's help you out. What I want to also let your, your listeners and viewers know though about those teachers and about sort of that separate track is this was a hundred percent an unofficial unsanctioned program like I am I have gone I've asked I've researched I've tried to track down like what program this is completely unsanctioned this these were our teachers just like putting themselves out there and trying to help as many kids as they can because I am confident that although all of these things I did the museum classes the captain program was all because all of those things were free to me. I believe that some of these teachers were paying and pooling together to cover this these programs for us. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. This makes me emotional because I was a, a teacher at an inner city school mm -hmm. and I would hear stories of kids who, and I was in a middle school oh. and I taught seventh grade English <laughs> language arts. And I was, it, we have a, a, um, a town here called Little Havana in Miami. And it, you know, it's, it's a rough neighborhood and it's like adjacent to Alapata. Both these neighborhoods are, are really rough neighborhoods, really low income families, single parent homes with multiple children. And I remember having a sixth grader and, or a seventh grader come into my classroom and he didn't know when his birthday was. And I asked him if his mom told him happy birthday and his mom doesn't wake up in the morning and he takes four city buses mm -hmm. to get his little sister off to her elementary school and then his little brother off to a different school. Mm -hmm. And then he comes and if he's lucky, he gets in for the free breakfast, right? Yeah. For the free and reduced breakfast. And then he comes to my class and doesn't know what day it is or why he's special. And right. these are stories that like are were very foreign 
to me because of my upbringing and something that you touched on about like the needs being like, not the needs, but the um, like therapy services being reserved for children with the quote highest needs. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting with, with that child and thinking, oh my gosh, like this trauma, like, I don't, who knows how this is affecting him. Right. And I have, I'm an adult that had my own set of its own trauma in my life. And it almost doesn't matter like what income bracket you're in, right? Or whatever your situation is, because it's all relative, right? Like every scenario, I'm an individual and you're an individual. And so your best case scenario and your worst case scenario is yours, right? Right. And it can affect you this way. Meanwhile, my best and worst case could look completely different, but still have like the magnitude right. of an impact on me that your experiences had on you. And so I think that's part of what's so frustrating about who gets to determine right. where the need is and who the need is for. Like, there's an obvious spectrum, right? Like, we know what little T trauma is. We know what big T trauma is. Mm-hmm. But like, how, to be on that determining, like the seat that determines who gets care and who doesn't mm-hmm. is crazy. It's, it's absolutely no. crazy. Absolutely and crazy. It also, like, as a, as a teacher of, like, what if there was a, like, you can't save everybody. I remember feeling like you can't save everyone. Right. And that was really daunting. And you have some incredible educators and then you have educators who don't, who don't care, right. you know? And hopefully you, you, you find one of those educators that comes into your life. And so did you have a specific mentor? Like, do, do these people stand out to you in your life as an adult that you're like, that person helped me and that person changed the trajectory? So I would say not a specific mentor, but I have specific people who, you know, when I talk about them, I talk about them as like my angels throughout, you know, sort of this journey to to getting here. Um, And they tend to have been, you know, teachers or people in sort of the academic um, area. One group was obviously those teachers who put us on a separate track. Another um, teacher experience and story that I can share with you um, that helps in the trajectory is I remember um, I had, I can't remember if it was my third move or my fourth move, but anyway, I got put in, um, you know, the regular class. Um, and after about a week, my teacher um, pulls me up to the front um, and tells me from now on, I am to go to a different class. Um, the different class was the gifted program. Mm-hmm. Um, but she told me that she would still be signing my report card, but I would just go and like, don't tell anyone. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so again, just like, you know, we're not going to worry about the system. Like this is what's going to happen. You're going to get the education that you, that you need to have as an individual. Exactly. And then in high school, so fast forward to me being in this great boarding school and I've got this scholarship, but it only covers the academics. It doesn't cover all the other things that I need. I had to work three jobs while I was there. Um, my senior year when I was applying for college, I actually didn't have enough money for my college application fees um, to apply. And so like, I was ready to go like, you know, tail in hand to talk to my um, college counselor and let her know like, hey, I've been working. I'm, you know, a couple dollars short to pay this application fee. And she like cut me off. She's like, oh, I already paid those fees. Um, wow. she like, pay me back when you can. And then she never brought it up again. And I never could like raise enough money because there's always something I needed um, to pay for, but she never brought it up again. But literally the difference between me going to college and living the life that I live now um, and, and like and not was like $75 that I just didn't have you That's know at the time I yeah and so you know just people looking out and so it wasn't a particular mentor but it was people who just 
helped when I needed the help and, and, and I, in ways that I almost didn't know how to articulate, um, you know, and so I'm so thankful for those people who, um, did what they could when, you know, when they could. So how do we, how do we fix this? What is, I mean, like, where do you even begin? Like, I remember thinking as an educator, like I wanted to see so many things change in the education system, right? Right. Especially in Florida. Like I was like, when I first became a teacher, I was like, I'm going to be the teacher who changes it all. And then you realize like the battle that you're up against and how it's almost impossible. Right. To fix it. Like, how do you fix it? Like, Sure, Sherelle, like I'm asking you, I feel like when I, I'm going to ask you this question is like, what's the problem? It's like, what's not the problem? Right. (laughs) Where do we begin? Like, how do we even begin to help the system? Maybe not fix it or like make it perfect, but like help, help. So, so I always like to say, um, what's been the difference for me and, and what I try to do and I try to focus on because the system is broken. And when I say broken, I don't mean like, oh, it fell apart. I mean, it was built to be broken. Yes. Uh, so if we had a longer time, I could take you through all of the historical and, and systemic issues with- I was just going to say that. Um, but like, we're going to have a political conversation. Are we going to go there? <laughs> like, but it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. However, what I try to focus on is helping where I can and helping the people I can to empower them um, so that they can also advocate for themselves. And so what that looks like for me is using my platform, um, not only to talk about my time in care and invite people to learn more about the foster care system, about the ways that they can lean in and help, but also by elevating other youth's voices um, who are, are in care now. Like I was in care a number of years ago. The things I went through are still happening, but my story is hardly the worst story out there. Course, and right. people need to hear that. They need to hear it from people who have are going through this now and who are, you know, who have just aged out and are living on the streets and are and, and can actually like tell them the tale of how they ended up here through no fault of their own. And so that's that's me trying to lean in and trying to bring more people in. I think what your listeners and your viewers can do is try to help one person. Like that is always my role and try to like inspire um, and, and empower one one person, one youth, and that, that could be by signing up to be a foster parent. That could be by signing up to be a CASA, court-appointed special advocate. Basically, these are people who are like volunteer social workers who actually um, uh, become the voice for the youth in care. Because mm-hmm. um, when youth are in care, uh, they have their caseworkers who are responsible for the cases, not the youth, the cases. So that could be their bio parents, that's their foster parents, that's their siblings, that's the judge, that's everyone but the actual individual yeah. who is being traumatized. Same with judges. You know, Judges are overseeing the case and making decisions about the case, but not about the individual right. or the individual. So CASAs are actually responsible and volunteer to be the voice for that individual. So you can sign up to be a CASA and help that way. Can't be a CASA, too much time. Okay, well, how about being a respite, uh, a care uh, volunteer, um, a, a, par- a respite parent, where who actually, um, for foster parents who need a weekend off or um, you know kids who need just a different scenery for a little bit or might be struggling in their home or might need to connect to just a different type of personality, you can do that for a weekend, for a week to just take a child in. Yes, you have to go through training, but you can do that. You can also volunteer without doing that to drop a kid off to um, their classes or drop them off to an appointment, 
kids who are in foster care, you can call your local agency and say, hey, how do I sign up for these programs to help um, you know, where I can? You can also donate money if you can't do any of, of those type time commitment things. You right. can donate money to people who are doing these things and doing these things sure. actively. Um, and then also, I think the biggest thing, and not the biggest thing, because all of those things I just said are super big, but I think a key thing um, that everyone can do regardless of time or money um, or energy is stop uh, penalizing youth mm-hmm. for being in care and stop like penalizing the victim for being in care. Youth don't end up in care because they have done something wrong. They end up in foster care because something bad has happened to them or around them. Either they've been neglected or they've been abused. They themselves have done nothing wrong. So these uh, you know, media portrayals of youth being juvenile delinquents, and that's how you end up in foster care. Those are stories for, for TV and for entertainment. That is not how youth end up in care. They end up in care because something bad has happened to them. So just changing that narrative in your head and being aware of how youth are being penalized and re-victimized because something bad happened to them um, is, is huge in changing sort of how you um, you know, how, how they're able to excel or thrive when they come out of care because people see that they um, don't have a, a home address to put. And so now they can't apply for a job. Right. Uh, you know, all these things that you get labeled and, and stigmatized for because you've been in care. The way my, I kid you not, the way my boss looked at me when I mentioned I was in foster care and how her attitude changed to me. And, you know, I'm someone who went through boarding school and went to college and, and you know, had worked many years um, and literally watching her face. And like, imagine being a 18 year old applying for your first retail job and you happen to slip up and say you were in foster care and, and see in that person's face that they're never gonna hire you. They're never gonna give you an opportunity even though you're on your own and you're trying to do everything right. Yeah. And, Things like that is what we need to change. That like misconception we need to change. And that every person listening and watching this can do. You can hear someone say something negative about foster youth, you can correct them immediately. I think that's really important. I think in society, we're not quick to stand up for what's right because we don't necessarily want to rock the boat and we don't want to make other people uncomfortable. I volunteer in the in the special needs community, right? Mm-hmm. And I hear in language all the time here in South Florida, the R word Mm -hmm. right, about children with special needs. Mm -hmm. And I don't care who I'm talking to, how much I respect you, how far superior you might be to me in a workplace or how close of a friend we are. I'm going to tell you that's a horrible word. And we're never going to say that. Right. Like, and that's at the, at the risk of being like told, Oh, come on. It's just whatever. Right. The same thing with any of the derogatory terms, right? Fine. Right. But we need to be able to get comfortable with being uncomfortable so that we can have these conversations in a way that's respectful and kind mm-hmm. to start to change it because it really is up. You just have one conversation with one person and, it, and I've never met one person that I'm like, you shouldn't use that word because it's very disrespectful to the special needs community. Be like, no, it's a great word. Literally right. not one person ever. And if anything, I hear, oh, I'm not going to use that word anymore. And they, then they start telling their people, you know, so things that weren't necessarily on their radar. And this could be a much larger conversation about how like the systemic situation is. Some people don't even know that they have these feelings yes. towards any group of people. Mm-hmm. 
100 they were raised to believe this they believe that they're good people they mm -hmm. believe that they do right by others but they don't realize that this this thought process has been handed down to them and they simply do not know any different and they have 100%. to reframe how they're looking at it exactly and you cannot be afraid to speak up and, and correct this you cannot i remember one time i was at a, a, a like a adoption foster care uh, uh event and a judge a family judge like uh, he uh, made a comment about um he was talking about one of one of the youth cases he had and how the youth you know was the juvenile delinquent and i i stopped him i was like hey you know why would you say that about that youth and he's like well you know he's been in juvenile delinquent programs and, and i and again i had to educate a judge i was like but you know a number of youth get put into juvenile delinquent homes because there are no beds for them anywhere else. So wow. you are just labeling them and like giving them this label and throwing this child away and assuming they don't deserve the resources when you haven't even looked in the case to see, did this child do anything wrong to be here or did the city just fail them and not have a home for them to go to, which happens all the time. They put you wherever there's a free bed, regardless of like what you actually need. And so like, he was shocked to hear that. Like he was just like, no, that doesn't happen. I'm like, it happens all the time. So these are some amazing actionable steps that we can take. Um, I want to look into CASA. I know that it's available in New York. Is this available like nationwide? I think they have 720 chapters across the nation. So it's in basically every city you can think of. Um, and CASAs are, I, I think they are superheroes. So please check it out. Please, listeners, viewers, check out, check it out. Even if you can't become a CASA, because it is there is a commitment to it, obviously, to, to the volunteering, but you could support them. You can you donate to them. Like there are different ways to help them. They are an incredible organization. Sherelle, you are an incredible light. Like, were you, were you always this way? Or did you, do you believe that it's a learned way of being? Or do you think that this is just part of who you are as a soul? So I, I what I will say is, I think this is who I probably was when I lived with my great grandmother, just mm -hmm. like, you know, just bubbly and effervescent. And I think I lost that. I, I know I lost that when I was in care and, and when I was a child and, and going through high school. And I think I've, I've refound this after going through therapy and after letting this weight down and after realizing that these things weren't my fault. Um, and I could either like, you know, bury myself in the pain or I could use it yeah. um, to help other kids and other youth. And so I like to believe like, this is probably how I was when I was a child. And like, now I get to be me again. And you're just such a beautiful soul, Sherelle. And I, I'm so lucky to have the chance to speak with you. Well, this has been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Nikki. Um, I am so appreciative of you leveraging your platform to just bring attention to, to this. So thank you so much. Sherelle, tell us where we can find you on social because we need to know. So you can find me um, on Instagram at Sherelle Star, um, and uh, I am always there. So feel free to ask me questions. I do a fun Ask Me Anything series where I'll cover, you can ask me questions about foster care or fashion, um, and I just answer you honestly. So please come find me on Instagram at Sherelle Star. I love following you. So let's all, let's all do that today. Let's all do that today because you're a breath of fresh air and a bright shining light. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. 
If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.